welcome to Talking Property, where you get the inside information into what's going on in the Australian and Asian property markets from leading property and investment experts. Welcome to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property Podcast. I'm Nelson Yap, editor of APJ. My guest today is Tony Crabb. Tony is the National Research Director of Cushman and Wakefield. Welcome, Tony. Tony Crabb, welcome back to uh, Australian Property Journal's Talking Property Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Now, today we'll be talking about the industrial property market. A lot has happened in the past 18 months. Tell me what has happened. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, sort of over the space of my career, industrial used to be that sort of dirty sort of third cousin there of sheds, just sort of pretty boring. Uh, All of the excitement was in office and retail. And now all of a sudden, industrial is the shining light. And it's interesting when you look across the, the very large portfolios uh, that uh, the superannuation managers have and, and the listed trusts and so on, they're all, in a relative sense, a bit underweight industrial and overweight, in a relative sense, office and retail. And as retail has struggled and industrial has, you know, been outperforming you know, in really extraordinary fashion, you know, returns of 10, 12, 15, uh, 20%. Per annum returns are quite extraordinary. They're all scrambling to get greater exposure to it. But the things that are going on in industrial is really just an acceleration of trends that had been building for nearly 10 years. And one of the quotes I like to bring out is that of um, Vladimir Lenin, the Russian revolutionary. And he said, there are decades where nothing happens and there are weeks where decades happen, uh, which is a, a, a great quote because it's, I mean, he was talking about revolutions at the time. But, but you know, that's in, in a way, that's what, that's what we're having now. We're, we're having a, a revolution. Uh, it's an acceleration of trends. And I was, I was talking to somebody earlier today and we were talking about uh, in times of crises, you know, whether that's wars or floods or famine, innovation accelerates. And we've seen that happen because of the pandemic. And industrial has been one of the beneficiaries of that acceleration. And we see that certainly because of e-commerce and people being locked into their homes and then sitting there saying, all right, well, I'm now on my phone. If I want to shop, if I want to buy anything, I really have to adapt and adopt and and use this this, uh, internet shopping. And we've seen a, an extraordinary acceleration of that. Now, that had been happening for slowly but surely for 20 years and has really accelerated now. And in speaking to, say, Australia Post, for example, they've seen an acceleration of four or five years and, and are certainly saying that that is a, a structural shift. This isn't a, a little cyclical thing. This isn't a fad. This is something that, People are now adopting and adapting, and they're probably going to stay there. And, and what, that's, what that's done just on its own is it's seen a shift in the way goods are uh, tr- related to people. 
So we would go to the shops, we would browse, or we would have done some research and we'll know what we want and we go to the shops and we pick it up. Now we're getting rid of the shop and saying, well, I'll just go to industrial and industrial will bring it to me. I actually don't need to go to the shop. And in fact, it's cheaper. And so that's, and it's convenient. And once we iron out all of the bugs in the system and people uh, become comfortable with it and learn to trust it, then it, it accelerates even further. And so industrial's got this sort of big run on now as we shift the emphasis from a retail outlet to an industrial outlet as far as demand is concerned. So that's certainly what we've been seeing. It's definitely a trend that I don't think will ever go back to pre-COVID um, because we're getting so used to it now. Uh, it's been 18 months now, but also, as you said, it's been a sort of uh, working its way into our daily lives. But um, I, nowadays, if you buy something, I know with shoes and things like that, you'd like to try it on, but I, even jackets now, <laughs> I, I like to try it on because... Uh, the European ones fit differently to the uh, the American ones, but now they offer the great returns. You just go to your local newsagents or post office and you can return your products. Um, so in a way, you don't have to think, oh, I have to go back to the shopping centre and then find car parking and then exchange it for, you know, for a new shirt or a jacket um, when you can just send it back in a few days. The, the proper size will arrive. So... Yes, it, it, there's been a change in in thinking around um, delivery of uh, delivery of goods to people and how quick it is. Yeah, and there's there's also I mean there's an interesting arbitrage here as well, which is working its way through the system. Uh, it it first became apparent to me with Meyer and David Jones in the late '90s, early 2000s. In, in the '80s and '90s, you would go to a department store and as you say, you would go and try a few things on and, and you'd play around with the colours and, and the styles and so on. And uh, you would look at something and they would say, I'll just go out the back and I'll see if I've got it in that style, size or colour. And Meyer and David Jones said, well, we're going to get rid of that out the back area there. We're going to push that downstream to the warehouse. And they will order it from the warehouse and get it in and you can come in and, and try it and so on. Um, now, they that, that warehouse space in the shopping centre was costing them $250 a square metre in rent and the warehouse was $80 or $60. So it made sense for them to push that storage from the expensive retail floor space back out to the warehouse. Now, I know that David Jones and Meyer freed up 100,000 square metres of space wow. in retail, you know, collectively across their portfolio and shifted that downstream to the warehouse. Now, if you put that down as, say, $150 a square metre, $170 a square metre, every year they're saving, in effect, um, you know, millions and millions of dollars. But what they were doing was saying we're going to open up more floor space rather than have it as warehouse within our, within our retail footprint. And, you know, they were reclaiming space by downstreaming. And what's then gone on since then, of course, is the technology has improved dramatically. 
from what we had in 2000 into what we have today with smartphones and, and 4G, soon to be 5G. Uh, that's now becoming available to all merchandise. So not just you know, the big guys, but all the little guys as well, all have access to this online stuff. Uh, and they just say, terrific. So JB Hi-Fi, Bunnings, Officeworks, all those guys are now uh, across it. And it's even going down to the groceries as well. So it's really started to move out more broadly across the industry. So looking at the uh, the industry, what's happening across the different markets uh, in Australia? Uh, obviously, uh, the larger markets of New South Wales and Victoria are where we see a lot of activity. But uh, I can see, you know, from recent research that uh, WA, SA, Queensland, they're all seeing activity in the, uh, in the industrial markets. Yeah, that's right. And it's, I mean, it, the e-commerce story is a story that is happening everywhere. And, and as you point out, it's, it's, it's relative. You've got really big populations in Melbourne and Sydney and, and southeast Queensland too. I just don't, don't think of Brisbane. I think of southeast Queensland as, as being a massive market. So those three are, are getting a bigger kick along with it. But you're also seeing it in, in the other cities as well. Uh, yeah, there's distribution centres in, in, in Perth and Adelaide as well. So they're getting an aspect of that. What you're also seeing is it's not just about e-commerce, the whole demand thing. It's also if food. Food is a huge part of the industrial market. So when we when we talk about population growth, and, and everybody's seeing population growth to a greater or lesser degree, you, you have to feed people. And so this is food processing, um, food packaging, uh, food delivery. And, and that goes not just for, for in people's houses, but it goes into people's restaurants and so on. And so your tourism is a big part of that as well. So that food side of things. The other side of things that, that comes out of industrial, of course, is manufacturing. And people think, oh, we don't do much manufacturing here. We do a lot of manufacturing in Australia. And most of it sits around the housing market. Right. So as we grow the population in Australia and, you know, young people, even just the young people coming through that want houses, and this can be apartments, townhouses and, and standalone houses, all that manufacturing occurs here. And so every city is getting an element of population growth that's driving demand for housing construction. And that goes into not just the materials and the framing that makes up the housing, but it's it's things like kitchens and bathrooms and you know, plumbing supplies and electrical supplies, electricians and so on, roofing, um, ceramics, you name it. And there's just such a, a huge industry evolved around that. And, yeah, we're busy building 150,000 houses a year. And so you know, that underpins a lot of industrial as well. And then, of course, you've got automotive. And yeah, the pandemic, in a sense, accelerated the automotive industry. A lot mm. of people went out there and bought cars because they said, I'm, I'm going to drive to work, um, you know, or we need a second car and so on. So the automotive industry takes up about 10% of industrial floor space. So more cars on the road, more automotive, more spare parts, more servicing and so on. So every city in Australia is getting a, a, a big boost 
because of those those things. Then you've got some quite specific things that are going on in each city. So Perth, for example, has always got the mining sector, which and and that that does Brisbane too, uh, believe it or not, not to the same extent. But mm. but Brisbane and Perth both get a kick along with mining, and we've seen the commodities doing pretty well. Now, you know, everybody talks about iron ore, but but gold is is doing well. Nickel, lead, zinc, copper, uh, uh, rare earths, uh, things like lithium, for example, uh, that are being used in batteries. There's just a lot going on in the mining sector. And, and one of the big things, of course, is how do you get the fly-in, fly-out workers going when you've got lockdowns, lockdowns <laughs> and, and border closures? So, mm. so that's kicking those markets along. Uh, Adelaide's got some massive defence contracts, which are really kicking along you know, the, the, the defence industry there. So, And then there's, there's infrastructure going in as well at the same time. And we talk about the infrastructure spending that's going on in Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, there's, there's still massive amounts going on uh, oh. in Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth, mostly around, around roads. And that's opening up new corridors for commercial property and particularly for industrial as well. So... Yeah, there's there, there's an awful lot going on in in all of the markets at the moment. Uh, issue that that everybody's trying to solve is is what they call last mile logistics. How do you efficiently get it from these giant warehouses on the edge of town down into these suburbs, and and how do you do that efficiently? And I would have thought that well, what I expect to happen is that uh, existing. Um, supermarkets, for example, will become last mile logistics warehouses and, and that's the way we, we will get things around. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, you know, they're, they're generally five to 15,000 square metre boxes um, that, that sit in every neighbourhood. And, and when you look at the UK and the distribution that occurs uh, you know, using robotics, um, packing and picking and so on, you can see that that's probably a large, large part of the future of that last mile. Um, because at the moment, it's, it's, a, it's a bit clunky. It doesn't work particularly well. It works fine when we're all at home. You know, someone will come and ring the doorbell and you'll, you'll pick it up. But, you know, if you're in an apartment complex with 200, 200 units, um, you know, they can't be leaving the parcel down in the foyer. You know, so we need some sort of mechanisms now that just get that that last little bit done and done efficiently. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. I think drones might play a part in that. Um, but certainly, you know, that, that last mile logistics of, of getting it from, you know, those big warehouses. Another thing that's coming, I think, in technology is, is what we call onshoring or reshoring. Um, at the moment, what we're finding is globally um, shipping costs have gone up. I think they've tripled. So the you know the supply chain um, things are starting to break down, and and those costs are filtering back into everything. There is um, with three D printing and the technology surrounding that, there will be the ability to manufacture things onshore again. So. At the moment, what we do is they're, they're done where the cheapest labour is in the world and then they're mass distributed 
to the rest of the world from from there, from that point. And of course, that's that's shipping. If we can then send the design to a computer that then prints it out in a mass manufacturing hub on the edge of a big city and then distribute from there, that's much cheaper again. And so what I see coming in the next decades is manufacturing returning to the edge of big cities. And so cities like Melbourne, Sydney and say southeast Queensland, I would expect them to have these huge manufacturing facilities uh, that are, are really automated and done with 3D printing. And things are just, you know, 3D printed in these huge facilities and then distributed to the population on an as-needs basis. So you'll just, it'll be manufactured on demand. And all of that uh, technology is already there. We just need it to scale. That's really interesting, the, the, the way you put it, because it not only I, th I think it will drive uh, sustainability too, because you haven't got the shipping that has to transport it half across the, you know, halfway across the world and, uh, and then load it onto a, a, a truck that then transports it to the a facility that then warehouses it, then, you know, it produces mass. As you said, it's on demand. So when someone orders it, you'll know that it's weird at your house or arrive in your house uh, within a week because of the 3D printing. That's right. And there's, there's, there's just less wastage as well. We're not manufacturing things in the hope that someone will buy it. We're manufacturing it as they decide to buy it. And so, yeah, I just think that, and it's cheaper, you know, because of that lack of wastage, it's cheaper because of the, the, the less necessity for transportation and so on. So. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that certainly coming along and, and being, you know, again, just another stage in the evolution of, uh, of industrial. And, of course, what, what this is all doing, of course, is, is putting pressure on land. And, and that's the thing. You, you, you look at, I think, I was, I've been reading the research that you put out from Cushman and Wakefield about land running out. And that's surprising for me because we've always had this vision that uh, Australia, big country, is uh, will have endless abundant supply of land, particularly in Melbourne um, and southeast Queensland, where you just see, you know, if you were on a plane, you just see empty land. So why is this happening uh, where industrial land is running out, according to your research? Yeah, look, it's interesting. There's a whole bunch of things going on there, and uh, most of it is just about planning and, and efficiency. You know, when I first started out, and I looked across the western plains of Melbourne, uh, it, and it sort of ran from from Laverton all the way down to Geelong. I said, "Well, that's a hundred years supply there. You know? <laughs> I, yeah, we will never run out." And uh, and and at that time, that that was right. And then they they drew a line. In, in the lava plains and said, thou shalt not cross this line. And, and, and at that point in time, he said, okay, now we've created a finite amount. We've said, right, that's the line. You're not going to go beyond that. So what we've seen in, in cities, not just in Australia, but all around the world, at the beginning of, of, of those cities, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago, was the port was really the big industrial area. Goods came in, they were warehoused there, and then they were transported to wherever was they needed to go. And goods came in and goods went out. And in all the cities, that's still the case. You've still got 
you know, big port infrastructure in, in every city in, in Australia and large industrial precincts surrounding that as well. And then as the population of our cities grew, uh, and here we're going back maybe 70 years, you know, we leapfrogged over the top of that industrial and created settlements in the farmlands that are now in a city suburbs and, and middle ring suburbs. And then the industrial said, oh, well, we've got to go out to the edges. And they built a whole lot of industrial out in um you know, they're 15 to 20 kilometres away from the port uh, because that was then the edge of town. Now, that was the, the 1950s. And then the population leapfrogged over the top of that again and then started to take up more farmland and, and build houses. And then just more recently, in the last 20 years, industrial's gone out to the outer edges of the city again. And here we're talking 40, 50 kilometres from the port. And so we now have these sort of three areas. We've got the port, the middle ring, and the outer ring suburbs. And we have that in most cities now. Um, and, and so what we're trying to do now is say, all right, well, gee, how are we going to manage this? And what we're seeing in the, the really big cities is the encroachment of residential, certainly on that inner uh, port-based um, industrial. Uh, and, and you're seeing that in places like South Sydney. We're seeing it uh, here in, in Melbourne, in places like Collingwood, Abbotsford, Richmond and so on, where old industrial is now you know, falling to residential uh, mixed-use developments, uh, commercial office and retail and so on. Yeah, they have. Mm. And so yeah, we're losing industrial land to that. And then in the middle suburbs... We're getting the, the push out and the push in encroaching on in the industrial um, in the industrial land there. Now, that would be fine if they were creating more industrial land somewhere else, but they're not. The amount of industrial land has remained fairly stable. Um, you know, so it's diminishing from that encroachment, but it's also diminishing from, from increased use. So what we've got at the moment around the country is vacancy rates of one, two, and three percent thereabouts. Um, you know, and it it will vary from precinct to precinct, but you know, as a general rule, everywhere's pretty tight, and so that means that any demand can only be met from the construction of new facilities, which can only occur a through the demolition of an old facility, which doesn't happen nearly enough. Uh, or it's got to be a brand new facility on a on a vacant block of land um, where where the land is available, and at the moment that's where all of the demand is being met is by churning through land, not through take up of vacant um, facilities or the demolition of redundant facilities, and so we're churning through land at a rate that is is almost too fast and. I mean, it's all very well and good to sit there and say, geez, look, we've got all that industrial land there and it's zoned. That's terrific. But you need to get the services to the land and you need to get the infrastructure to the land. You need to get the roads, uh, the gas, the electricity, the water and so on. And then it needs to go through its planning process, the environmental considerations and the water runoff and, and noise and access and so on. But then you also need to have 
the personnel to be able to deliver that as well. So, you know, we've got a whole lot of things, you know, culminating in you know, excess demand and limited supply. And so in some markets in Australia, we will run out of zoned industrial land in the next five years. In other areas, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. But, but also it's about proximity as well. So if you think of those inner areas, uh, there's none, there's zero availability. Uh, in the middle ring suburbs, there's nothing there either and so we're always left on the outer edges of the city saying right what have we got available and when you come to a place like sydney for example it's it's locked to the north and the south uh and then it's it's knocked it's locked to the west by the blue mountains and to the east by the ocean so is sydney is in in dire straits as far as uh, industrial land and so demand if this is sound a bit crazy now, but demand will shift up to southeast Queensland and Sydney will get serviced by southeast Queensland in the end. That's Are the it. land rates cheaper in southeast Queensland? Obviously they are. <laughs> yeah, that, they yeah. are. Mm. They are. And, you know, the, the, there's a greater abundance of it there, but you know, it's, it's more flood prone. In, in those areas. And so, you know, climate change might might have something to say about that in the end. But, but yeah, they do have more land there. And in places like Yatla, for example, that's probably going to be, you know, halfway between Brisbane and the Gold Coast is going to be one of those huge growth areas for industrial, I would have thought. In the other areas in Brisbane, are, you know, you're either heading away out west which is a long way, or you're heading down into that that Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, Brisbane area there. And from there, you can actually service um, the the northern part of New South Wales quite quite easily. And in fact, probably more efficiently than you can from Sydney. So, yeah, I think some areas are just going to balloon out. And I think that'll be one of the areas where they do that. Melbourne's west uh, will eventually run out of land uh, in about 15 15 years' time, and then we're just going to have to head up north, I would have thought. Um, Look, you know, in the end, there is the potential to move the boundaries, I suppose, but but at the moment we're we're very rigidly focused on having those boundaries there, and and for good reason. The the sprawl in our cities is, is too large for the size of the population. And it's it's becoming you know globally in a global sense very inefficient. So we need to increase the density of of our cities, particularly Melbourne and Sydney. Uh, Southeast Queensland will, will become like that too, um, if they're not too careful. But growing in Mel- Melbourne and Sydney to between eight and ten million people, it just requires us to be you know, fairly diligent. In, in, in making sure that the boundaries of the city stay where they are, which means we are in the end talking about a fairly finite amount of land upon which to to do things like industri- these industrial activities. So, yeah, and, it's, and as I said earlier, it's one of those, uh, th- those things, that arbitrage that exists between retail and industrial. If you've got retail at 250 to $450 or $700 a square metre, and you've got industrial sitting at $100 a square metre, yeah, there's a real arbitrage there that'll, that'll, that'll work its way out in the end. 
um, because that's just the, the most efficient, cost-effective way of doing things. And if you can make goods cheaper, people will be attracted to them. So, yeah, I think industrial's got a lot of uh, income growth and value growth, and I think retail's going to remain under a fair amount of pressure. And that's the thing I, I, when you bring up the the boundaries of uh, you know where we've drawn up where we say okay that's where we're going to stop um, with industrial too and the growth of last mile logistics I suppose we can't keep pushing industrial out further and further because the goods have to be close to the people so and we have seen this in Asia and we see it in Europe as well where the industrial is vertical. And I know in Australia, we kind of <laughs> don't imagine, you know, uh, but if you fly into Hong Kong, for example, you see eight-storey industrial buildings. Um, can that happen in Australia eventually? Or when do you think that will happen? Yeah, look, for, for that last-mile logistics type thing, yeah, so if, if you think of, of Singapore and Hong Kong being, you know, multi-million person locations in a fairly landlocked environment, you know, being on islands, you can understand why it just makes sense to, to be vertical. And you're not doing, you know, big B-double trucks or semi-trailers. Uh, they, they tend to be much smaller trucks and, and a greater degree of frequency in their movements. Um, can I imagine that happening? Oh, look, no, probably not here in Australia because, you know, the the ability for us to be able to find other avenues to, to for the distribution and as i said it's uh you know if if i were thinking about um supermarkets being distribution nodes we've just got lots and lots of those out in the suburbs now they could go up a level and yes. and, and not be you know sort of in, in a suburban environment not be something that uh, that, that people would object strenu strenuously to but if you were going to go up eight levels um you know, I, I don't think you could do that in those in those locations without people objecting strenuously to it so that would then leave us to say all right well then that has to happen say out in the west where nobody lives or that would happen in the port and around the port area there uh, I, I, I wouldn't say never i'd just say you know unlikely anytime soon but but and when I suppose the other thing in, in when we discuss industrial, obviously there's manufacturing, there's cold storage, there's all these um, ma uh, uh, industries that use industrial. But now we're realising because of COVID that more people are working from home, there's more demand on cloud computing, that data centres are now snapping up industrial space as well uh, because of that. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, there's uh, there's new uses for industrial. Who would have thought? You know, you think industrial, oh, yeah, that's easy. It's just big sheds and factories. But then, you know, this this new industry of technology is coming along and, and gobbling up space. And, and, and yeah, the, the demand from there is, is, is going to be explosive. You know, we... It was interesting watching technology move to 3G and then from 3G to 4G and, and you're sitting there saying, well, that fourth generation uh, has been extraordinary. You know, we can now watch videos on demand and, and stream TV and, and do all sorts of things and have these 
phone calls and videos and so on. It's, it, that's been extraordinary. Well, 5G is coming. And in fact, it's already here. And 5G is, is just an extraordinary leap in technology. And a lot of people are just kind of getting up to speed with it at the moment. But, but 5G can connect a million devices simultaneously per square kilometre. Wow. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's got a download rate of eight to nine gigabytes a second. That's faster than MBN, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, it's like, wow. Yeah. You know, now, that then makes commercial reality of the Internet of Things, of drones, of truck platooning, of driverless cars, of everything that all the the technology that we've been playing around with on the edges it all goes mainstream under 5g now what that does if you if you're then starting to say right we're going to connect all these devices and they're all going to be talking to each other all the time and all this data is going to be flying around then then data demand is going to explode and and i mean in, in in an exponential sense and so data centers will be will be critical infrastructure. You can't do it without them. So the demand from that sector is is going to be quite extraordinary. The thing about it is you can't just put it in a shed <laughs> like no like a logistics <laughs> facility. It's got to be in a, a fairly you know, robust stable designed. yeah yeah. It's, it's got a, it, it really is sort of high end. It's like building an office building in an industrial location. And it uses a lot of water to cool it down. And it uses a lot of electricity. And it has to have backup generators because it can't fail. And yeah, there's a lot of things going on there. I mean, so much so, you know, Microsoft is starting to build them under the ocean. Wow. Because, <laughs> yeah, because you've got constantly cold. Yes. So, you know, it's and in Melbourne you can think, gee, it's always fourteen degrees under the water. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's, true. that's not bad. But yeah, we're, we're going to need to find a lot of different solutions for data centres, and no doubt about it. And the growth is going to be, you know, really quite explosive. And but you know, having said that, as our populations grow, uh, you know, Australia is expected to grow, and in fact, it's government policy that we want to grow the population from 25 million to, to 35 million people. Now, that means more food. That means more goods being distributed and demanded. Uh, it means more, more, homes. Construction, yeah. Yeah, more construction of housing. So, you know, I, I can't see underlying demand for industrial disappearing. In fact, you know, and as we've spoken about with data centres coming in, all right, if we get driverless cars, the automotive sector, you know, there's aspects of that that might shrink, but then other aspects of it are going to grow. So I think, you know, if we looked at industrial, you know, in its entirety, the demand, I think, is, is assured for quite a long period to come. So, yeah, the I think it's got a really bright future. And yeah, people have said, oh, look, I think, you know, currently industrial looks a bit overbought. You know, the yields are, are really low and, you know, as I said at the outset, you know, there's investment demand, there's occupier demand. And funnily enough, uh, 
occupiers are actually turning into owner occupiers now because it's it, it's cheap to do that. So you know they don't necessarily want to rent their places; they're quite happy to own them. So you're getting a, a lot of demand to own these facilities. So that's pushing yields down. Interest rates are low, and that's keeping them down as well. But I think underpinning all of this is that the rents are too cheap and the land is too cheap. And so I think the future, given the demand scenario, is that land prices will continue to rise and rents will continue to rise. And so the yields that we're seeing at the moment are reflecting the promise of that future, which looks really bright for industrial. On that note, thank you very much, Tony. That was a very, very uh, informative industrial chat I've had with you. <laughs> I found out about Microsoft building underwater uh, facilities, which I didn't know about. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think we could we could talk all day about industrial. <laughs> thank you very much again, Tony, for joining me on Australian Property Journal's Talking Property. We hope to have you back soon. It's been a real pleasure, Nielsen. Thank you.